This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. You are listening to the North American Waterfowler Podcast. I am Elliot, your host, and this is episode, I believe, I think this is episode 26, I think. I'm kind of losing track. I've got with me Titus from Mid-Valley Mercenaries, and my 25 episodes probably doesn't seem very impressive to him. How many recorded episodes do you guys have over there in your podcast? Uh, I think the last one was 238. 238. Isn't that mind blowing? Yeah. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. Like I feel like it's never going to grow. And then you look at it and you're like, Oh wow. I guess I do have a few on there. <laughs> <laughs> how many words do you think that you've said? If you just had to guess, how many words do you think have come out of your mouth on those podcasts? Total. Too many. <laughs> do you think it could be a million? Oh man. I don't know. Cause I don't know how much words per minute you speak. And then when you got guests, you're not, but I do a lot solo too so there could be could be yeah it's crazy when when you're just uh filled up to here with duck hunting in your blood there's no limit it's just like oh <laughs> hey i know i seriously stopped recording solo because i know people get sick of hearing me talk by myself <laughs> but it's fun honestly i could so do it yeah i could so do it i just try to give them a break you know right. get in a guest yeah do you find that your solo episodes, how do they do compared to your guest episodes as far as downloads? Honestly, they do the same. That's what surprised. That's what only even gave me any motivation. Cause I remember when I first tried, I was like, this, no one's going to listen to this. And I actually had told you that before. I don't know if you remember, like, you know, don't worry about it. Cause they'll come on there. I think I told Jordan that too, but no, it, the downloads are honestly the same unless it's like a bigger guest that shares it on his mm -hmm. platform. And he gets, that's the only time 
you can see a lot, quite a bit more. For me, out of my 25, by far, the ones that are best are when I have like on a biologist or um, yeah. like I had John Devney on, chief um, policy director at Delta. I had Matt Farmer on, um, bi um, biologist uh, at a wetlands. Those ones for me seem to do a lot better. So actually what I've been thinking about mm -hmm. kind of doing is because I did that episode on chat GBT, which is probably one of my favorite episodes. Um, mm -hmm. But was I was asking it like, where are the best places to hunt in Arizona? I would like to just pick a state and, and do that and then try to contact the biologist at that place and then just get them on and just ask them all about like Arizona. Well, I don't know, wherever, even like maybe spin a spin, like a random thing. Like, okay, I'm going after this state today and i'm gonna right i'm gonna so i thought that that would be really fun because people like those episodes and and uh yeah. that would be really interesting to do that would be that would be actually it's a great idea so again guys if you i'm sure you've listened to titus's content over there at the mid valley mercenaries podcast if you haven't check it out um great content really exciting podcast make sure and also his youtube channel as well mid valley mercenaries um he and i have been kind of trucking along about the same views, same subscriber count. And then some point you just slipped above me a little bit, but uh, content I'd say is somewhat similar. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. So I feel like you're, I feel like yours a little better because you, you use the handy cam more than I do. I like doing it that way. It seems like the viewers are just different. I, I, I don't think that. that I, I, to me, I thought, my goal was like, everyone's using GoPros. I'm going to get a handheld nice as one as I can. And I'm going to show birds in close birds being shot. And I thought that would give me a leg up and it just hasn't, it doesn't matter to YouTube viewers. It just doesn't seem I to know. matter. It surprises to me. And I know you had kind of the similar experience if you wouldn't yeah. mind sharing about like the high production intros and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I was kind of bummed because I felt like it was so much, it was more work. But then I was like, you know what? Get over it. If that's what the viewers want, they want that more first person point of view, mm -hmm. then give it to them, I guess. So that's kind of what I just did last year. All right. So Titus and Jordan both out of the Flyways Collective guys, which I don't even know if people even recognize that name anymore because we haven't done anything with it, but it's a <laughs> bunch of us YouTubers that have become really good friends. And out of that group, I think you and Jordan did the best job at doing like, little snippets of high production, really creative segments in your videos. And both of you are like, well, it doesn't seem like the views really improve right. much with that. So Jordan only right. Jordan now only videos with GoPros. Yeah. One on his head, one behind him and that's it. And it hasn't affected his channel in a negative way at all. But then when you get people like nope. um, Slade Northwest that they put out like, you know, five or six videos a year that are all high production, those do seem to make a difference. Yeah, you know? you know, and I only put out like 11 last year. I used to put out like 30, you know, and it's like, it's funny because I've done less work and I feel like working with people in other companies is better than it ever was. So it's kind of like, well, shoot, it's less work on me and I can enjoy the hunt more when I'm not carrying something around, you know? So now that you're away from it though, cause I was talking to um, the Patreon viewers about this and the regulations in Kansas, which we'll talk about in a second. But I, I can't see myself stopping filming even if I can't show it to anyone else because I just love watching it myself. And that's ultimately yeah. how I started. So ultimately how I started my channel was just that. I wanted it for myself. So do you, now that the season's over and you only have 11 recorded, are you regretting not having the ability to go back and look at those 
hunts? There is a couple that, yeah, I wish I did have, but on the same note, I don't really, I'm okay with not that I didn't, you know? Now I do have, I actually have, uh, I think four, four more hunts that I just, the hunt got so good in January. I honestly did not take the time to edit those. So I just said, you know what? I'll just put them out next year and they're really good hunts. So I'm actually excited to show those and it is hard holding on to those, but it, it doesn't matter either way, you know? Yeah. But I think I actually have, I actually have a hunt that I got the bird of a lifetime. I don't even know if I told you about this yet. I think I did, but I'm keeping it, keeping it a secret for now, but, um, I'm, I can't wait to show that video. I think I already told you it's like, best one i've probably ever had as far as emotions go on my channel is it is it done is it edited it's done can i, I get I can the link <laughs> yeah i won't post actually it. <laughs> i would like to get your uh feedback and like these guys are it kind of reminds me when we first started filming not not how do i say that there's some things in my older videos i was like okay it's almost cringy to me looking back now this isn't like that. It was just the whole emotional roller coaster in this video. Yeah. Like it's, I can't say much about it without giving away, but I, I don't mind if you watched. I'll have to send it to you. So like cringy, like you were just acting so goofy, kind of cringy. Just so pumped, like it literally is a once in a lifetime bird, like right. literally. And the fact of how it happened, the whole scenario. In fact, in this video, <clears throat> I <clears throat> play it. I don't say nothing. I don't slow nothing down. I don't stop it. But. I recap it. So it makes a video like 20 minutes. I've been shortening my videos a little bit too, but this one, I, it's, it'd probably be over in like 14, but I recapped it with the little details that you wouldn't know unless I told you. And that I feel like makes it even that much better because it's like, I didn't even catch that the first time. Cause I've showed it to some friends around here that weren't in, on the hunt. Mm -hmm. They're like, dude, I can't believe how crazy this whole thing is, how that went down. So All right. I, I better be getting a link. <laughs> so let me formally shoot at you the new kansas non-resident regulations i haven't talked about this okay. on the podcast publicly i don't think people really know about it but so they talked about it and it looks pretty certain that they're going to pass it but it wouldn't be until the 24 25 year unless they mm -hmm. can get their legislators they don't have to go through the legislation but and they have to go through the you know legal process to get these regulations in place they don't think they can get it done for this coming year but they will try but they don't think they can so non-residents can only hunt sunday monday and tuesday three days of every week um they're going to get their own duck stamp so it's going to be a separate duck stamp and that's going to i don't know how much that price is going to be they haven't decided yet but that's going to be um, a, they're going to jack up the price way up on that, but hmm. non-residents get three days a week in Kansas. What's your initial thoughts about that legend, that regulations? <laughs> As if I was a local, just in general, I, you know, you've been to Kansas. Well, I will, I'll say it in two ways. If I was a local, I wouldn't be upset about it. I don't know if I would be like, Ooh, you know, whatever. But as far as just my general thoughts on that, man, I, it's hard. You got to be careful what you say on podcasts because you're going to be counting for every word you say. Uh, man, that's, I feel like that's, I don't know if you, people hate me for saying this, but I kind of feel like that's fair. But then at the same time, I mean, it's, it's just more control. So I don't know if 
more control right. from certain entities is never really good, is a good path. It seems like that's my, and I talked about that before you got on that. That's my concern because now we've got a complex with a no wake zone where you can have, like, if you had your boat there, you wouldn't be able to get up on plane. You can't, it's like mm -hmm. a no wake zone over the whole thing. Mm -hmm. They've got a 5 a.m. rule at one complex, and now they've expanded to six to where you can't touch the water until five o'clock. So you could walk the mm -hmm. dikes, but no boat can hit the water, no feet can hit the water until six. They're um, beefing up their their wording about filming. They are doing this non-residence thing. So they're starting to get like like regulation happy. And so my, mm -hmm. they even mentioned the possibility of limiting equipment, which they haven't said what that means yet. So they're they're going down the path of getting really regulation happy. Right. Which and, that's not good for anybody. Right. I mean, so, I mean, where's it going to stop? Is it next right. thing you know, all of a sudden, well, you can't hunt past noon. I, that would devastate me. I love yeah. long hunts. I love long yeah. hunts. If there's a so on from now on, no hunting past noon. Next thing you know, they've got set blinds and you have to draw for it. It's just like, it's, that's what scares me. It's like, how far are they going to go with this? Right? Yeah. Well, you saying how the, you know, the, the non-residents, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, that, and then going into the other stuff, that's two different things. Cause I definitely don't think all those other things that are getting put in place are you start getting, like you said, happy about regulations that you're starting to walk down the road California's. And I mean, you know, we, we do have places you can't hunt by, uh, you can't hunt past noon. Like you literally have to be out by noon and their thinking process is, Oh, it's going to make it, you know, it's going to be better because the birds will know they can come in in the afternoon. They can use that place. That may or may not be true. I know some other places that do that, uh, private clubs. I don't know if they've really seen the good effects of that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, too, I, there's nowhere that I've been that has those regulations like the five o'clock thing where your boat can't even touch the water, mm -hmm. except for like um, you can't put your decoys out before a certain time. So that's that. Those are really, uh, I'd be curious, why did they say they were doing that? What was their? They want to have the birds to not be kicked out of marshes as early. Those birds night feed. And, and so a lot of complexes, the main food pools are the ones that get the most heavily hunted. And so people get in there super early to get their spot and they're kicking birds that are feeding out at mm -hmm. 12, one, two. I mean, typically during the season, you won't see anyone there before three 30 or four. Um, but they're wanting to give birds extra time to just be in there and be unmessed with is what mm. is that's their reasoning. I don't know. I don't have an opinion on whether that'll help or not, mm -hmm. but that's definitely their reasoning. Hmm. It. So, uh, so selfishly as a Kansas hunter, I'm it's hard to not be excited about the thought of so many less hunters because half of our hunters are non-resident. So literally you're cutting right. the field in half. You're yeah. going to be able to feel the impact. For yeah. a resident, right? Hey, let me ask you this, Elliot. Do you think that's going to cause resident guys to lay off on those days? I mean, if you think about it, and this is just off of first initial impressions of it, do you think that would actually be better for both parties because the the non-residents have kind of a window and then the residents like, hey, maybe they're not as apt to go out and hunt those days because they know the non-residents are out there and it might help both parties, you think? Maybe, maybe, but the thing is, if you're going on a trip, like we have a ton of people from South Carolina, a ton from Mississippi, Alabama, Texas. If you're going that far for a hunt, you're not going to only hunt three days. Yeah, I know. So yeah. those people, I just think won't come to the state. 
If like you're yeah. picking a destination hunt and you want to hunt five days, you're probably not going to go, oh, well, we'll hit Kansas for three. And then because when you go on a trip, most people, I think, learn a spot and focus on that spot. So right. I think those people, I think, won't just won't come. I think your border state people, the people that, you know, um, Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma, I think those people will de- will probably make their trips through that time. But I, I just think we get a lot of you see a ton of South Carolina tags, for example. Huh. Um, and I, ju- I just don't think those people, why would you come in only three? You can't even see, they won't even let you scout on those non days. It's not that you can't hunt. They don't even want your boats on the water. At, if you're non-resident, they're saying you can't even scout and put boots on the ground or, or, um, boats in the water on those non days either. So huh. it's aggressive. Yeah, wonder- it's an aggressive stance. Yeah. What caused all this just in the one year just to go ballistic on regs? Oh man. So because, taking away the YouTube thing, mm-hmm. whatever, it almost seems like it's connected, but it, I don't see how it would be, how that changes anything. There are, well, first let me ask you a question. I know gosh, we're off track of what we're going to talk about a little bit, but this is interesting. Um, you've been in Kansas and hunted three days, I guess, in Kansas and about that in Nebraska. What is your feeling on pressure in Nebraska and Kansas? What did you feel? It was over pressured or not pressured? Well, I mean, <laughs> Matt's going to kill me for saying this, but I mean, Nebraska, you almost go there and think no one even hunts it, not even locals. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like Kansas, I mean, personally, Elliot, going off of what I'm used to in California, right. I don't feel like Kansas is nothing, nothing compared to here. Honestly, yeah. I don't. I'm not trying to make it paint a dark picture and say California's crazy and just it can be. Um, the more longer I hunt, the more I figure out how to get away from people and still have a good hunt. Right. But I mean, there's just times you can't help it. You know, you come into let's say if you draw a good number, like a reservation number for a place, you go in there, you get your spot and you're in free roam, meaning you can go anywhere and there's really they want you to stay a couple of hundred yards from each other. But nobody really abides by that. Mm-hmm. If the, if you wanted to already go here and someone else is there, they're coming in on top of you. Like, and I yeah. mean, in, on top of you. So mm-hmm. there's no, I've learned over the years, like I almost come in later and it's not to mess anybody up. I mean, I'm still there way before shooting time, but usually by an hour before, I'm kind of giving away some of my little tricks, but really only, it mattered only to California people anyways, but. I come in like an hour before shoot time, which is not something in my nature I want to do. And this is refuge K. This has nothing to do with being on a river in a boat, any of that stuff. But I come in about an hour before that way I can stay away from guys. Cause some, sometimes when I've been out there, you've been out there waiting for two, three hours, or whatever. They're like, why are you coming in so late? And my point is I'm trying to stay away from you because right. when I go there, you come on on top of me. But if I let you <laughs> go in and find your spot, Maybe you're in the spot I wanted. Oh, well, I don't want to hunt by you because I know even if I'm there first, you're still coming on top of me. So I'll go somewhere completely different. Maybe I won't have as good of a hunt, but at least I'll be away from everybody. You know? Yeah. One thing I've noticed more in the last couple of years, because I'm typically, we're typically the first group at the marsh almost Mm -hmm. always. When you walk in and there's people in there and it's dark, it is really hard to tell whether a flashlight is 50 yards or 300 yards. Yeah. So I find myself walking straight to the flashlight 
Cause I, I just want to find out. It's like, I want to set up and I need yeah. to know our, where are you at? Yeah. And then that's always awkward because guys, a lot of times kind of have their hackles up that last 80 yards you close where um, you're not close enough to talk to them, yeah. but you're close enough yeah. to hear the feet. And it's a really awkward distance to close <laughs> and I don't like it, but it's a, it's hard. It's hard to tell. And it's actually made me a little more tolerant of other people coming in after me. Cause I'm like, it's so hard to tell the distance. So yeah. I typically, I'll, if someone's walking towards me, I just meet them and walk towards them. Right. Once you talk to them. But, but yeah, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. What you said about that. So yeah, well, I just wanted to get your take on, on the Kansas regulation thing. It's a really, really aggressive stance they're taking. And, um, obviously for me as a resident, it's going to benefit me. It just yeah. is definitely going to. And there's going to be days I look around. I'm like, ah, this is wonderful. Yeah. I've just, I'm just scared of the. Overregulation. What? What? Yes. Next? Yeah, because that's two different beasts right there. I mean, the non-resident—that's right. one thing, but then all the other ones, it's like, uh, yeah, it's never a good sign when government starts doing that kind of stuff. You know, you just get kind of nervous. Yep. 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 All right. Before we talk, we're going to talk about Titus's boat situation because both of us feel. Now, I want to do one more thing first, but both of us felt like maybe we just didn't quite flush it out the last time he was on the podcast when we talked about boats as we had wanted to. So we kind of want to go back to that. And you have been putting on, and I'll let's don't talk about this yet, but I'm just giving a teaser, some awesome Instagram content showing that new boat of yours. And you <laughs> have me really, really jealous. <laughs> really jealous, I tell you. But yeah. before we get that, I want to do a comment of the week real quick. So um, we're going to real quick jump into the comment of the week. It's time for All right, Titus, we've been talking, you and I have been talking back and forth on Marco Polo's a lot lately about dogs. And so I found this comment about dogs. It's actually something that we were mentioning, just kind of a subject we were talking about today. And I just kind of wanted you to give your 101 on this. This is from C. Peterson 13. This was on Instagram. I had posted just a real short reel of Georgie and I sitting there. This mallard came in so tight hovered right over the decoys and i just shot it at about 20 and georgie had a really easy little retrieve so c peterson 13 says having a well thought out hide and decoy placement getting those nice shots are so crucial to building confidence in a young dog people often overlook all the extra stimuli that is in an actual hunt versus training setup you did a phenomenal job with her this season so can you just talk about what a hunter's responsibilities or action should be with a young dog on like their first few hunts. Yeah, that is a conversation we had just today. And the biggest thing is put the gun down. I mean, I thought that would be harder than it was when I, when I first did it with Rocky, but it wasn't hard at all for me because I put so much time, energy, effort, hours, into training Rocky that by the time the hunt came, I wanted nothing more than to see success for him. Like I wanted nothing more than him to do it right. And, you know, it was just me and Thomas. And also I wanted to show off and for lack of a better term to my brother that this dog can do this, you know? So it wasn't hard at all to put the gun down. And I don't think to be honest with you, I don't think there's many guys that once they get to that point, it is hard for him at all. I don't think it is. Yeah. Anything else that people should be having in mind on, on a early dog, their first few hunts or so yeah, just you can think of expectations, like yeah. not to over have this over expectations. Your dog is a baby pretty much when they go out there. I mean, even if they're two, I mean, they are so young 
I mean, dog years are 14, right? What do you, what do you expect when you see a 14 year old? <laughs> they're, yeah. you know, they just not experienced. They haven't been there. Or maybe a seven year old. If they're only one year old, they're like a seven year old. Exactly. So yeah, you know, I, um, I, and I, Nathaniel, now Nathaniel with Kelly, his pup from Rocky, he did, he told me about two, three hunts later. He's like, I really had my hopes way too high for her. And I warned him about that. I said, don't do that, Nathaniel. Just, just be happy with, just the littlest of things and end up later on he told me he's like yeah to be honest i was i had had my expectations way up here and and that's totally understandable i think the more dogs you have too and train i think that's going to get easier and you'll have more patience i hope <laughs> and you'll be more um i guess patience the right word you'll just be more or less yeah. expecting and more forgiving of your dog basically you know it's not that yeah. you're yelling at them or getting mad at them because they didn't do something you wanted them to do. But um, that's just reality because when, when again, I hope I'm not dragging this out too long, but no, no, when we went out, so what we did, we did more things with Kelly than we did with Rocky because of me. Right. Because I knew I learned something from when I trained Rocky. So when we took Kelly out there, I, I put her in a lot more scenario based training environments in actual hunting environments that I felt like she was definitely more qualified than even Rocky was by the time we actually went. So what we did right before her first hunt, we did it a few times, actually, I think three times. And we went out there to one of our local marshes that allows you to train your dog out there for the certain part of the year before, I think it's like two months before season starts and they close it down. Maybe it's like six weeks. But you can go in the actual marshes that you hunt, surprisingly. And there's not a ton of water out there. The way of California, they don't start flooding stuff till later, literally right before season starts. So you're not affecting any birds. You don't see really any ducks out there or anything. Anyways, you go out there. We went out there. We put our waders on. We took our guns. We took our blanks. We took, I took Rocky. He took Kelly. We took our dog stands. We took decoys. Um, we had everything. And then we took um, birds that we had frozen and thought out the night before for training purposes and took, I had Rocky with the gun. He had Kelly with, he didn't have his gun just because he wanted to make sure she didn't break or nothing. And then mm -hmm. hit Jake or Jake, Nathaniel's dad, and then his brother. So we had one guy and one behind us where you couldn't see the dogs, couldn't see it, tossing a bird way over our heads, shoot the gun. You know what I'm saying? It's just, we yeah. did simulating a hunt. We simulated a hunt. I called, called, called. And made him wait, didn't let him just go right away, which is a tendency to, I will say that for anyone listening that this is their first year with the dog, be patient on sending your dog because, I mean, you've talked about this, Elliot. I, mm -hmm. You're so excited to send your dog that as soon as that bird's shot, maybe not even hit the water yet, you're calling their name. And mm -hmm. what happens is if you do that every single time, it doesn't take very long before that dog is literally anticipating you call him because you right. always say Rocky. You're rhythmic about you're it. Right. So you're rhythmic, rhythmic about, about it. it yeah. That that dog is is already wanting to go. And I I've had to even this is Rocky's fifth season. He's been through five seasons. And I still have to work on not doing that with him because right. it's me as a trainer, not him as a dog, right? He's just going off of like you said, rhythmic kind of deal. So those are a couple of things yeah. I've seen for myself.
Yeah, those are great points. I will just add one thing to that and that if your dog is doing the job in training and you feel good about your dog going into its first few hunts and if it has a bad day on the hunts, he's going to be fine. He's not going to just suck, which my dad and I, on his first, he had a pointing lab, real expensive dog, sent it to a professional trainer and everything. And on his first hunt, this dog was just had horrible. And uh, we, I remember the emotions we had. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this dog is going to suck. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. no, just relax. Yeah. It's your dog's first yeah. hunt. They're going to be fine. Yeah. Then- <laughs> you may suck. No, but they're going to be fine. So just, you know, temper it, yeah. temper it. Dogs all, in fact, Georgie had a bad training day last Thursday. And I was so down in the dumps because she had never been this bad with marks before. And we got all these hunt tests coming up. And I went through that. I'm telling you, I was so down in the huh. dumps about it because I'd never seen her be this bad on marks. And I just, I, 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 I know to not let it get me down. It just did. And then I went out with my buddy Cole on like Saturday. She did a little better. I went out and sent with my dad and she had the best training session ever. It's so ride the highs and yeah. lows, right? Yeah, that's so true. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, so let's get into your boat stuff. I want to hear about this new boat you've got, your first experiences with it and impressions and then i want you to go back and i want to talk more about just boat hunting in general and what it's done for you and how you how you find it most effective and how you do it okay yeah we got the new 2023 um pro drive um xd series td which is a timber deck and um it's a 1848 um and I haven't done this yet. I haven't done comparisons yet because people are wanting us to do that between the Gator Tail and this one and why we switched. But I guess I'll just say real quick, there was nothing there. It was kind of more of a business deal and more of the fact that we just wanted to try something else. We're new to the the duck boat world. And, you know, just like bass boats, I mean, there's a billion of them out there. And you just, just everything has different features. And we kind of want to test waters and see what the best platform is for us because there is differences in different brands i can tell you right now and i'll tell you right now on this pro drive it is more of an outboard feel than like mm-hmm. a mud motor they're both service drive right but the maneuverability and the handling of the pro drive is night and day difference i mean really? it's it's almost like i feel like i'm not driving a service drive because i got so used to the gear tail i'm thinking nothing about it but uh it was work. It's work to to run those, and it's even worse if you have like a long tail, like you know, like a yeah, certain long sure. tails. Those are 
those are really a lot of work. But man, you sit down, I'm almost kind of lost the old manliness of, <laughs> of running like a gator towel because you're just grunting, you know, like this, doing the pro drive. Now I'm just like, man, I feel like a little fairy out here. There's no, Get yourself a steering wheel. Uh, seriously. And it's it's no effort. It, maneuver, it turns so tight and it definitely, it don't slide as much, which there's some on the chine there helps it a little bit, but uh, it's definitely not as fast. Um, which to be honest, so what with, horse is it? How many horses? It's it? 42. It just is not the way it's designed. It's just not, you're losing two or three miles an hour on speed, but we're still what, getting, what, how, do you know how fast it rolls? Yeah. We're still getting 30 miles an hour. So, Ooh, I mean, it's man, yeah. that's beautiful. Oh yeah. They, now that's empty. That's empty with two guys and a dog. Or? That's two guys. That's two guys and a dog empty. No, no duck gear. So I'll mm. be curious to see. Now I've heard guys, I have a couple friends that I talked to a lot about, before we got it and they said you don't really lose much because the torque is different um you actually we do, we do on ours we lose a ton well now see on the gear tell we would be like just me and thomas would be like 30 we could get 33 34 wow. sometimes i've heard guys saying they never got over 32 maybe we just had a good setup in ours but i'm telling you i clocked multiple times we were getting That's like 34 fast. but it would drop. We, we only hit twenty in ours, but ours is a thirty-nine horse. Yeah, um, but but it would drop fast though, Elliot. So like, you throw the duck gear in, okay? Me, Thomas, Rocky, duck gear. We could get thirty. You add a third guy, you're getting like twenty-five. You add a fourth guy, you're not hardly moving. Right. And the issue was is you couldn't get on plane hardly, and that mm -hmm. that is where the big difference is with this pro drive. This pro drive is right now. Like you are literally getting on plane if in. I'm not even exaggerating, like not even three seconds. It's crazy. Wow. So I understand now. I told Thomas, I said, that's why you there. It's not bogging down as quick with more guys because the issue was, is just when you had a fourth guy in there, you getting on plane took a while. Whereas if the torque is more, which it is on this boat, you're getting on plane so quick that you can get your, you know, get your speed going. So. That was the biggest difference. Maneuverability, getting it on plane quick. And then it's just, it's a nice boat. Like our, like on the side. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah, boat. Like, we're like, I love those green lights. Oh, you know what? Man. Okay. So on those green lights, um, we were, we were actually going to do, we had in the order form, we had white for the rooster lights and the green or the inside lights. We didn't want exterior edit. We didn't really see the purpose of it, but, um, for us, but, uh, I thought as a pilot, you know, what's the two best lights that I'm always trying to use? My night vision goggles are green, right? Because mm -hmm. it's good for your your, uh, your rods, which are your night vision in your eyes, right? Or red. And I'm not big on the red because they do have that option. So the green was like, you know what? I think this will look pretty good. And then I started looking up on ProDrive's Instagram. And I said, you know what? Actually, I think I can run the boat with those on because there's been times for two reasons. One, I like to see the rooster tail uh, when I'm driving to kind of know where that perfect on plane spot is. Right. Cause you can see how right. high the rooster is. And with those mm -hmm. rooster lights, I seen a video on their Instagram where you could see, you'd see the whole rooster. Like it literally lit up the whole rooster tail, which obviously called rooster lights. I just didn't think it would light it up that good, but it did. So I was like, you know what? I'm not saying I have to run with those on, but if I want to see where I'm at and see if I'm on trim where I need to be, then I can just kick those on real quick, kind of take a look, 
instead of turning on white headlight looking back there, you know. So it's yeah. little things. They're not make or break. It's not like I have to have that. I don't have to have the interior lights, but it's just nice time. It is. And we ran the other night. We took, I go, Thomas, let's go run this at night on the river because we have a lot of floodwaters right now. And so we took it out there and ran it. I said, I want to see if we can run this boat with those lights on without it affecting our night vision and like going through trees and whatever. And sure enough, we turned them on and ran it. And I was like, you don't even, it don't even phase your vision. Whereas a white light, when someone turns their flashlight on while you're driving, you're like, turn that thing off, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So. And it's kind of nice for the guys riding too with you. They can, if they need to move stuff around the boat when you're driving, they have some light to see too. So, so I don't know. On the same hand, do I want ever do, do I want myself glowing across the lake? You know, when you're trying to get yeah. to a spot or something, I don't know. We'll see. Do you go, do you cross reservoirs or is it all rivers? No, there's, there's reservoirs, um, some lakes and then uh, rivers too. Yeah. So we've, we've done kind of all of it. Do you give yourself a wind restriction? Like how's when would what would the wind have to be if you're like we can't we're not going? Mm, I okay, I will give an example. Uh, one time we were in the Columbia, we didn't not go because the wind never hit that point. But I will tell you, I we were out mm, there when it was about yeah. twenty five thirty, and it yeah. was like that was it right there. I said if it was yeah. one more mile an hour, I would not be out here. I never we never felt nervous or scared. Or like we're putting ourselves in a bad situation, but I ain't gonna lie to you. That chop yeah. was like two foot, you know. Like there were some big rollers out there, and I was like, "This." And it depends on where you're at, you know how it is. If mm -hmm. it's a really wide sure. river, the rollers are gonna be bigger, more in the middle. So we just kind of had some game plans, like okay, depending on the wind, we're gonna cut across right here where it's not as choppy, and then yeah. stay on along the shoreline. We've got two That's reservoirs my that limit. we frequent quite a bit. Um, the first one, my rule for that was always up to 24, 25. It's kind of a circular lake, and mm -hmm. that was fine. I've never had any situations on there where I felt really nervous about it. But this year, we went to a different lake and hunted it, the main lake, for the first time. And it was only like 22 on the miles an hour. But this lake was long, much longer than it was round. And oh, so yeah. I didn't realize this, but you, this, my, my wind limits for this spot are totally different than those. We had this thing bogged down. We had like four dozen goose floaters. We had an A-frame. We had three or four dozen, um, duck floaters. And those FA decoys are not the lightest decoys in the world. And then all of our guns no. and everything. Uh -huh. And the problem with the, with this go devil, if you get it too bogged down, it will only run at like 21 horse. It just, there's so much weight in it yeah. that it won't even run at 39 horse at all. So it's just puttering slow right? and and everything's wet. It's at, and on the way back, I was having problems kind of staying out of the troughs. And plus we've got, plus we've got that blind mm, on yeah. there. That's a full metal blind, which is really heavy. And so we were dipping yeah. down into those troughs of waves. And I doubt we yeah. were actually in any kind of real trouble, but I know that I was like, I don't want to be on this lake like this again. This too much and i didn't realize yeah. i just never thought like my my wind limits per boat have to be per lake not just a flat rule which i guess i didn't yep. thought about that before yeah no that's true and then the size of your 18, boat what size is just your boat, over 18 Elliot? and it's uh got real high sided walls um i think what is the width on it it's wide it's wide with high walls yes 54. it's like a 54 or 60 maybe yeah Okay. Yeah, I see. And that's what our gator tail was, but this is a 48. So it's longer, but it's more narrow. 
there was reasons why we did that too, but um, I, I've already been in that situation with that size of boat cause I was in someone else's. So I basically know the limits there too, but you're right. It's, it's really dependent on what, mm-hmm. where you're at too, you know, and the type of river or the width of it or the, the shape right. of it. You know, well, let's right. move on to, and I'm not even sure what questions to ask you on this, but I want to dig in farther with what about having a boat? Cause you're, you're hunting, you're successful. You always shot a lot of ducks, but this, the, you're getting more decoying ducks. Now you're averaging two years with your boat, five ducks a hunt. And it's like, what exactly about it is causing you this much success and how are you using it to maximize your success? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. I just think, Oh, man, I don't even know where to start on that because personally, it's just, I guess I've always felt like it was limiting to me. When you're on a refuge, you can't move quick, you can't move far, mm-hmm. and you can't get away from people. And you start wondering, like, is it me? Is it my decoys? Is it the people around me? Is it my calling? Like, you're thinking all these things because you want to be successful. And you're like, what is it? You know? And then when we started doing that with the boat, it got us away from people, which is number one. Cause you're on, factor. cause you're on river systems. And then it was like, mm-hmm. yeah. And even though there is people, there still might be people, you know, four or 500 yards down river, but it gives the birds, maybe there's that sweet spot and space separation to where it gives those ducks more options and more comfortable. Sure. There might be one spot hotter than the other. Maybe the guys up river are sh- shooting a little bit more than we are, but we're so far away. We're not affecting mm-hmm, right. each other if that makes yes, sense I do. you know what i mean like okay good for them i actually you're kind of happy when they're shooting so i'm like okay they're doing good there's birds here and then okay here comes you know five pack right now and they don't they're far enough away from those other guys it's not even an option you know it's not messing anything up so i think just just to get away from people and then opening your horizons that's another thing too because you don't mm-hmm. know what you don't know so if you've never traveled or did anything anywhere else, you really don't know what's out there. And I say this, I said, I made this comment last year. We spent myself with other people, myself with Thomas, we spent a lot of time uh, two and three years ago, just traveling. I think actually maybe four or two. So for like two or three years, we were hitting all kinds of places, traveling all over the place. And in California, uh, Washington, I don't know. Okay. And not having a lot of successful hunts, but mm-hmm. figuring things out, right? Having all these pins, this is where we're going to go. Let's try this out. And then, and then doing a process of elimination. So let me ask you about these trips. Are you targeting rivers more than reservoirs? Is most of what you're doing is targeting rivers on these trips you're taking for the boat? Uh, I would say 60 some percent would be. And the reason I'm saying that is because I can think, two river systems and then some reservoirs. So it probably would be more rivers than reservoirs, but I, and I'm are you targeting using on X or are you people saying, Hey, yep. I think this river is good. Or is it like just blind? Hey, let's go look at this river and you're studying it with mapping. How, how, how are you deciding when you're going up? Pretty like, much. What are you doing? Pretty much. Honestly, just looking, um, some, like some stuff in Washington. Um, uh, we had some, a, a friend of mine that was just like mentioned, like, try this, this, and this or whatever. We didn't even actually try it because in the, by the time you start driving, 
to the spots you see other things. So it's just spending time on the road. But where I was going with that is, is like, okay, you, you're going to have to pay a price for a while. We did not, it did not happen overnight traveling because you've never been here. You've never went it. You got to find out all the rules. You got to spend hours reading and making sure, like you said, can I put my decoys out as soon as I get there at three in the morning or do I got to wait till five? Some of these places have those rules. So it was like really challenging to spend time doing that. And then once you get out there, like, okay, well, that was a bust, but I seen birds over there. Like, like I said in my podcast a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know what? Every time you hunt, you're scouting. Like right. you are hunting, but you are scouting. Yeah. Cause you may say, you know, 500 birds dumping in over here and you're going there tomorrow or you're pinning it going there a month from now or next year, whatever it is. But that was the biggest thing to me is I was adding pins in Onyx, adding pins. Then I would try them out or look at them, put eyes on it. Nope. I actually don't even like that. It doesn't even look like some ducks were like, take it out of my Onyx. And I've been doing that for like three years. Well, then last year I told Thomas, I go, all right. This is what it's, this is what I said. I said, we've been building all this intel up. We've been having these hunts that aren't the best. And that's okay because we were learning and we were trying to gather intel. I said, but this year, I said, the blood will flow to the reins <laughs> of the horses. <laughs> I said, all those spots that we're no more scout. We're not trying nothing new this year. We're going to all the hot spots mm-hmm. that we found for three years. That's all I'm doing this year. I'm not going to find nothing new. Yeah. This was just last year, right? And, and it worked. I had my highest number of birds. And again, I, I feel like I'm past that stage about bird numbers. I'm not trying to sound like I'm yeah, a guy that's just got to. You're gotta, not. You're not. Well, <laughs> no, because I'm not. It's still fun, man. It's still well, fun. No, I mean, I'm not saying it's not fun and it's cool, but like I it's went into, I ain't going to lie. I went into the year last year trying to hit a number, yeah. right? Like I was, that was my goal. And I won't do that again. Like if I have an insane year and we get floodwaters, they're talking about El Nino in California again this year. If we get that again, it could be absolutely insane hunting. About time, day right? After day. Yeah, about time you get water. I know. So, you know, maybe that could happen. But the goal this year, actually, to, and speaking of goals and stuff, um, I'm actually going to just try. I'll probably try to find some some new places this year, maybe even states I haven't been to yet. So mm-hmm. it'll be back to the drawing board a little bit again, yeah. but that's fun. I just, you know, yeah. So. When you, when you're able to get it done on public, it's like you found the spot. You were there before everyone. Mm-hmm. You got it done. There's something so satisfying about that feeling. Yeah. There just really is. And it's not yeah. about that feeling. It's not about the numbers. I think we work so hard at this and, and we're so it's such a part of our lives that, those moments of feeling very competent of what we're doing feels really good, yep. you know, cause we're trying so hard. And when you try, so that's how, that's what weeds people out um, of different things in their life, because it's like what we are never have success in. We tend to not do, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's like I, yeah. my wife does art all the time. I don't. Why? Cause I never had any positive success with it. Right. And, and those moments of like, I got it done. I did all the scouting. I did all this work. I found the birds. I was the first person there. We shot our limited mallards. That's a lot of just such fantastic emotions. Mm-hmm. That the that. plan came together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's an awesome story. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Elliot, do you uh, ever shut ducks off your brain in the offseason? Unfortunately, no. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. I can't even shut it Is off it, in though? church, Titus. Oh. <laughs> now, that I might can. be a little bit... That might be a little bit of a problem, but that is funny. It is. I I want an off switch at some (laughs) point in time. Uh, I am very, very obsessive. There are some songs I've had kind of stuck in my head for like 25 years. That'll just like kick up every couple weeks. This little It's like that song's been on my head for 25 years. Yeah. (laughs) I am too. I do wish that I could dial it back. Like if I'm trying to pray, if I'm in church, if I'm trying to listen to things my wife wants to talk to me about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to dial so bad. Guys. I want to be oh, able to dial. I'm it. too. Hey, you know what? <laughs> We're closely alike in that area. I promise you. <laughs> so here's how, I, I, here, here's how, I don't know if this is positive or negative. Like I'm really depressed one day, right? Like this is mm-hmm. in the last couple. It's not like I don't fight depression or anything, but I just having a bum day, you know? I'm yeah. Like, yeah. And then I came up with this plot of the scouting trip I was going to take. It's to this place I've never hunted, but I scouted it two, three times last year. It's going to be an awesome place. I just, the water levels have to be right. So I decided I'm going to take a scouting trip up there and my mood switched like that. Cause then I was just thinking about it. That's what I was thinking about. That's where my mind went. My mind was out there. My mind was thinking about the smart weed. My mind was thinking (laughs) and my mood went from like complacent and not feeling happy just to like happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So I, I do want to ask you another question about, um, cause I'm real curious about the scouting. So when you're, let's say that you see a river and I'm most interested about rivers because rivers are kind of baffling. We have, um, couple rivers, big, big river systems that are shallow that we can hunt in the state, but they're, they're still just kind of baffling when the ducks are there, why they're there. And so when you see a river system and you're scouting it, are you looking for flooded vegetation? What on what on Onyx do you see? You're like, okay, I feel like there's a little backwater, a little oxbow. What is it that you're yeah. looking for ideally? Yeah, um, like that little backwater thing. And it is harder from Onyx. Like, I guess I look at like those little backwater spots or little cuts or breaks to where like, say, the river's flowing one way and it kind of has like a little peninsula that points out and then there's a little back pocket in there. I like looking at those and pinning that stuff. But to be honest with you, Elliot, my what I found in the rivers, and this is again on the West Coast, so I don't, I can't speak for everywhere, but I do notice I have always, every time I find a good spot, it's a sandy bottom. Hmm, Believe it or not, most of the time, I would say seventy-five percent of the time, 
It's not every time, but if it's a really rocky bottom, and I guess that's because maybe the way they want to loaf and feed or, you know, dip down and stuff like that, there's not much going on in rocks, you know? But let me ask you this. Um, I know like doves, they go to the road and they pick up little pieces of gravel and that actually sits in their gizzard and grinds up their food. I've never, I've never thought about this. Do ducks need little pieces of gravel in their gizzard? Well, let me tell, let me tell you something here and I'll send a video. If you remind me after this podcast, when we were breasting out the ducks, the mallards that we shot on the last trip to Washington, guess what? They're, they're crop. Ducks is a crop too, right? Am I, and I want to say crop. Well, it's a crop. Yeah, crop. Yeah. In the crop that was full of corn, guess what was in there with it? Gravel. Sand. Sandy little chunks of little tiny, tiny little sandy gravel in there. So maybe that's where it sits and does the grinding is the crop. Yeah, it breaks it maybe down. My, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know my, but I bet that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'll show you the video. You, we were, we were kind of nodding our heads like, okay, this makes sense now. Huh. I, so I, now I mean, you can actually target that on the satellite images or can you not tell? Is it? You know, sometimes you can on Google Earth. Uh, you can kind of see from that aerial. It, actually, you can kind of see where it's like, oh, that's sand. You can totally tell that's sand because it's way lighter, right? Um, but yeah, as far as Onyx, sometimes it's kind of hard to tell an Onyx. But I have noticed that. I have noticed that. That's something to think about. For sure. That's really interesting. So now you're not you're not boat blinding. Have you ever thought about the need for I, a boat? Blind I actually and... did last year. I had we. Ever since we got that boat two years ago, we've had a boat blind on it, actually. We just never – it was a quick release. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was an Avery. It was an Avery mm-hmm. boat blind, and it was a customizable one, so you cut it to the shape and all that and then put it together. Is that we, the scissor? Is that the uh, scissor? No, not the no? scissor one. No, it's actually wood rate. Avery's – there's just lifts straight up and then four corners lock with a plastic piece. Okay, and then you just it's pop and not, it flops down. Yeah, and yeah, then it has okay. some kind of over top cover, too. On both sides. Okay. Yeah, I looked at that one. I looked at that one. Yeah, yeah. honestly, I would, I, I would use that again, but it is a pain in the rear to put together. Like uh-huh. it's a pain. It took us like six uh-huh. hours to put that thing together. <laughs> it was a, it was a literal pain. I, I did not want to do that again, but I would, I would use that one again. I will say I liked it. But uh, do you have videos hunting out of that? I, I don't, I don't remember uh, seeing any videos of yours hunting out of that. A couple. Okay. We have one uh, when we're in Northern California, and we're in that one. Yeah, we're hunting out of that. It wasn't that good of a hunt, though. Just we were, that was one of those things where we're trying new places. Um, but this last year, when we were hunting the floodwaters, we used it every single day for like two weeks. And we were just, the birds didn't know we were there. And it really, nice. it wasn't like we fully covered everything. We had some netting, though, to put over like the front where it doesn't cover and over mm-hmm. the motor. And mm-hmm. they were just right 10 yards away. It was phenomenal. Mallards? Mallards? Uh, every, mallards, pintails. We shot some cams wow. back. Um, till nice, yeah. So, are you scouting a day ahead on these? I, I keep wanting to be curious and ask more questions about the rivers. Um, are you scouting ahead, or do you identify a pin on on X and then like, well, I don't know, we're trying it in the morning, or do you always have a scout day where you're running the rivers looking for? Where Let me ask you this, to, so I can answer that properly. Are you talking about going to a new place, or are you talking about to somewhere we've been before? A new place, like when you're just okay. When I when I'm trying a brand new place, I've never hunted there. Let's say I'm going to, I don't know, Nevada, okay, whatever. How I would do it depending on when I could get there. If I'm getting there the night before, um, and I've never seen any of this physically, I very that's 
a lot of times what I've done in that situation is go out late morning because I don't want to affect other guys' huntings. I don't want to be that guy driving around right. eight or nine o'clock, but I'll more scout in the afternoon and you might have to lose a little bit of a day because you've never been there and just see in the afternoon where birds are. Maybe if you're lucky, you find birds, maybe get an afternoon hunt. If you don't, you got a spot for the next morning. So that's so if you flush a bunch up, you just set up. You're like, Oh, we flushed a bunch up. Okay. That's funny. There. You said that because we, used when we before before we learned our lesson we did not do that we would save for the next morning and then we've showed up the next morning they were gone so it's like the old school guys that i've talked to that have been in boats for 40 years and they're you know in their 60s said yeah that's how we used to always do it but beware because sometimes they may not come back and sure enough i feel like i feel like you gotta almost hunt it right then like i feel like if it's two o'clock and you flush a bunch of birds up you probably should take your you should take your chances because they may not be there in the morning. And I don't know if that was because that that's happened to us because weather or because we flushed them or what. Some guys were like, "Yeah, that's it's happening because you're flushing them." Some guys are just saying it was you kind of helped them just to, to to decide to move on, you know. Mm-hmm. But I've had it both ways. I've had them leave and not come back in the next morning, and then I've also had a great hunt when we just rolled right into the spot and started hunting. So, and I guess for me, I'd also try to like, do I think they're just there because like loafing or are they, if they're in a bunch of smart meat and millet, right. I'm setting up right. Like, a lot of times it's on the river rivers here. We don't have food on the rivers. I hunt. There's no duck food. Mm-hmm. They're there because it's open water. Yep. They're loafing. Now I will say I've seen some teal that seem to be feeding in there, but I've not, I never put it together. I bet you that they were picking up gravel because our, our river is just sand. Mm, and these okay. teal, I saw them in there and they were going and doing something. I'm like, there's, what are they eating? I bet you they were getting sand. Yeah. I mean, maybe I would have, have to ask a biologist that, but I mean, that's what was in their craws. And I'm assuming that's where they got it. Cause yeah. why was it? I don't think it was coincidence that it was Sandy bottom where they were coming into. Cause like you said, Elliot, really honestly, the, a lot of the places that we hunt on the river are not vegetation. There's not like vegetation as in, oh, this is a place where they're feeding. It's more like, Okay, you know how some places we went with when we did the Flyways Collective, like that was actual vegetation and food? Right. This yes. is not like that. This is like yeah. Sandy Bomb where they're coming in to, you know, just to loaf a little bit and maybe get some of that sand and whatever. I don't know. Yeah, and I need to have someone on because we may be just butchering we might everything be. about it. So I'm going to get someone on and have make like an anatomy of a duck and see how they're – how they're working on their feeding patterns. Like, do they intake little pieces of sand to grind up food? I mean, if they're eating insects, they're not going to need to grind that up. So those of you that are like, Oh, these guys are idiots. I, I don't know. Maybe we're wrong. Yep. We're just trying to work through this as regular guys, but I'll, I'm going to get someone on um, and talk to them about the anatomy. Of and again, that's that just works. from four years of experience. What I've seen, I'm just basing off right. that. I don't, like you said, I, you're just putting evidence together. They're yeah. there. They've got it in their, their crop. Yeah, am I you know, am I on left field here? Because this is kind of making sense, but I could be an idiot too. <laughs> so, really, I should I never do that where I open up those things on a duck. Sometimes, if I think feel like it's lumpy, I want to see the corn. But I think it would be a lot. It would help you learn a lot more about why they were where you shot them if you start popping things open. Yeah, and and looking at them. And I'll say that I learned this from Matt Farmer that if if they're empty and don't have anything in there, then they very well may be um, eating all insects because insects will decompose. If you wait a while to clean them, the only way they figured out 
how many insects ducks eat is they started it. But first, when people were doing research, you couldn't, that for some reason, they didn't allow them to look inside right after they shot them. They had to wait until later where they got them checked in or something. But then they changed it to where they could kill them and look. And when you wait a while, the insects decompose so quickly, there's no traces of them. But then if you shoot them, open it up, then you can see the insects. So hmm. I know lots of times I've opened up, um, not lots of them. My dad is the one that tends to open them up and there's nothing in there and it could be that they're just feeding on insects hmm. and, and you've waited so long that there's just you're not finding them yeah which kind of putting that together yeah. is so fascinating hmm. um what else about your boating life do you want to share mm, man i just i did i did talk a lot about going out of state on one of my other podcasts too. And boat was always kind of involved. Um, I, I think yeah. you had to ask something about when you show up to a new place, what are you doing? Or you said, are you scouting in the evening for the next day? I do have right. kind of a system. Like, so now that I've been there for a day already, it's, it's rolling into the second day. I definitely make time. Say if we got lucky and had a good hunt that morning, I do make sure that I get to scout in the afternoon because I'm not banking on that same spot unless I literally cannot find nowhere else. If I had a good hunt in the one spot in the morning, okay, I'm still going to scout in the afternoon because I want one more than one spot. Right. Mm -hmm. But right. if you ever think that you're going to going to go out on an out of town or out of state duck hunt and get rest, that's the last thing you are ever going to get because it is the most <laughs> wearing out. If you think hunting locally makes you tired, going out of state is twice as bad because you, unless you just don't care about your duck hunt the next day, you are, you got to go. Find. I think you're underestimating my uh, desire to relax. Huh? <laughs> I think you're underestimating my desire to relax. Oh, no, no, no. You, I know you don't want to relax, right? Or are you saying you do? <laughs> Oh, it is. I'll say if I'm camping out, it is definitely important to me to get in some time where I'm just sitting around the campsite because yeah. that's a huge part of the yeah. trip for me. But no, if if we need to scout, we'll scout. Yeah. But if I'm not getting some afternoons, like what I love best is an, is an early morning limit and you know what your next day's plan yes. is and then sit, sitting around the oh, camp yeah. for the rest of the day. If I do a whole trip and I don't get to do that, I'm going to be. <laughs> well, that's the, that's a huge that's part the of dream, right? <laughs> right. But when you go mm -hmm. somewhere, you took time off work. You're going for five days. The the drive in me and the just like stubbornness is like I got yeah. to I I gotta have I gotta know you know because me and Thomas talking about it. We've given up on this now. This dream, this pipe dream of oh man, we had a limit. Let's go relax the rest of the day. <laughs> Take a nap. <laughs> don't do anything. Oh my goodness. I, I, we're like if that could ever just happen one time would be a dream we just need to make it happen and just say you know what it is what yeah. it is but i don't know it's you know it is different when it's your brother because you're just we're young you know too and he's younger than me by 10 years so we just always have that just like uh right but yeah. i doubt i don't know i don't know if in so i do want to flip the question around on you because you i asked you um when you decide to hunt something and you asked me whether you had known been to the place or not. And we talked about if you had not been to what on the place is like, you've got a stretch of river. You've had success in the past there. You've got pins. What's your, are you going to hunt those blind? Or are you going to make sure that there are birds there before you hunt those? Well, I mean, like if I'm getting in late, cause usually you have a long drive and you're getting in at night. So I'm like 
this is what me and Tom did last year. Like we know the spot's good. We've been there enough times. It's like, it's almost kind of a get, it's not a guarantee, but it's pretty close because we're hunting wild game, right? So it's never a guarantee, but like our odds are really high. So we'll get there that night, hit the sack, get up early, get that spot and hunt it. If it's going good or if it's semi-slow, but we're still getting birds every 30 minutes or hour, we'll just stay pretty fairly late. You know, mm. when I say late, I'll say like till lunch or something, because we uh. know, even though we may have other spots, because we've been this area before and we have spots within 30 miles of there, you know, we still want to see if we can find something fresh or go to those spots and make sure there's birds there or find some new ones too. You're, you know what I mean? You're always kind of trying to find new stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, but I don't, I don't really take trips um, like you do. Um, I can only think of one trip in the last years I've taken where it was kind of like, I'm just going to a new area that I've scouted. Yeah. It was actually before on X cause I was printing out laminated maps and I like Google image maps. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, I don't have the luxury of being able to take off right. more than, if I'm going to get a three day hunt trip in where it's like two days of travel and a three day hunt trip, that takes a lot yeah. for me with my job to do yeah. that. So I travel within the state, but I'm not really to the stage of being able to do what you're doing, which is so fun, um, of finding all these new areas, which I would love to be able to do mm -hmm. that. It's just not really part of my right. because of my job. Yeah. Busy, busy during the duck season. Yeah. So we don't have to scout as much when we go on our, you know, little three days and stuff, cause we already know the yeah. area so well, we know how to scout them. So it's not like we're, you know, exploring. Yeah. There's not really an exploring involved other than just scouting all the areas we know. Yeah. Of. It definitely makes it easier now for the spots we've been, you know, but I think that's mm -hmm. my thought process is like, if I work really hard for the net, you know, I've been, it's been four years now. Well, we'd have a boat four years ago. It was all walking stuff. So we'd spent two years without a boat. Now we've had two with it and we've built more stuff up and more pens and more good spots. Hopefully in another 10 years, you know, when getting older, I'll be, I'd be almost 50 that I would have a really wide plethora of options that maybe I won't have to work as hard, you know, but spend the time and effort mm -hmm. now to pay off longer term. So I'm curious. So when you use freelance sun stats, which were changing the name to North American waterfowler, but, and so you can enter your own locations in there, right? You, you create, you yeah. name your locations. I, I never want a situation where people are pinning their locations on a satellite because I don't want to pin my locations knowing someone's right. seen. So the system there is you name your spot and then you record that spot. So you can name it something totally different, whatever. When you're hunting a river, do you just name that location that river or do you do like point? Do you name the individual pins names or do you just say I'm hunting the whole river on your, on, on your, when you log your hunt? On well, stats? And now maybe I'm figuring something out on this podcast, but those aren't even public to everybody anyways. Right? No, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Well, so they never okay, will. Be. Well, so like I name it, if it's like a refuge, cause mm -hmm. when I say refuge here, it's like, it's like a little five square mile piece of land that has marsh in it. Right. When I, when right. I say refuge, like say Washington, it's on the river. Right. So it, it's totally different. It's not even the same concept as here in California, but I'll name that refuge that I'm hunting in. That's all I do. And yeah. I'll be like uh 
what did I, I I put some funny ones in there this year because like I've been naming them, naming these spots off of things or events that happen. So if something kind of uh-huh. funny happens, I end up naming it and I'll even put it in my Onyx as that too. So it's in freelance hunt stats and Onyx, like canvas, canvas back or, you know, whatever, something funny. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, have, I don't know if you've ever messed with this. I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but, um, what I really love about hunt stats is so I'll have like an area, like the one you hunted in Kansas and then there's different marshes at that area. And so I'll name each, I'll use a name for each marsh. If I hunt marsh, whatever East marsh versus West marsh, I'll divide them up into those. So like at a complex, I may have 10 pools, um, 10 different locations at one complex because they're different marshes. So you can go in and sort them and just check those spots. And then just see the stats at that location. Oh yeah, yeah. And then, or you I've can see, you can see the stats pool by mm-hmm. pool by pool. And I, I yeah. love. Yeah, I do too. So, I use that. I use that every year. I get in there at the beginning of the season. I look and see what my averages were for all these spots. And it's, I mean, I have, I don't have a good memory, but for some reason, duck hunting, I can remember a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, motivation. I think that's what it is because I'm like I can yeah. keep all this in my brain but to see the physical number is like really nice it is really fun it's really fun and you can also pick all those locations and then be like hmm, how did I what was my average with the south yep. what was my average at that place on the yep. wind? And I just man, I don't know if people use those as much as they should it's I it's use cool. them I tell you what I use them yeah I don't know if they do either yeah I don't know. Maybe we're analytical freaks that just are weird or something. I don't know. Right. Cause if you find, well, I'm having so much success at this place on a North wind, then you can go back and say, okay, well, what's my success on a North wind under 32 degrees? <laughs> yeah. What's my success with a North wind between 33 and 42 yep. degrees. And it's like, man, those features, I can just geek oh, out big on that time. stuff. But it works though. I was telling someone the other day, I said, Bir- birds are, um, I need a word just right, but like there's a lot. I know weather does affects birds. I know temperatures affects birds. I know all these different things, but there's also an historical aspect to what birds are doing. And the more I hunt, the longer I've hunted, the more Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that. And it's proving true in my own success. It's like this at this place for the last Four years on this specific week of the month has been good every time. Maybe I got lucky four years in a row. I don't know, but I've talked to old timers. They said that's that's so true because birds, someone had a podcast. I don't know if it was you or Jordan or someone had a guest that was talking about that. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not crazy. That is true. Right. It's not all about, oh, got to get that snow in Canada. I mean, that definitely helps push. But this biologist, mm-hmm. maybe it was someone else's, I don't remember whose it was I was listening to, but he said, yeah, it's also historical too. And I'm like, okay, I thought, it, I mean, I ain't no rocket scientist, but I did think that was true. And I've had older timers that didn't know the details of science tell say the same thing to me. So. Well, I've had two different people make comments to corroborate what you're saying. I know I had a um, marsh manager say, I'll tell you what, right around October 1, it's always yep. a push. It's always, and that's bigger ducks. Because teal will go on, I forget the, the what they call it, but the daylight, yep. how much light yep. there is. 
Um, Teal will move on that a lot. So they, I always call it moving by the calendar, but I know that there's a, a more scientific name for it. But he's like, yeah, uh, right around. No, it's not the first of October. It's the end of October, right around Halloween. There's always right in there a push. And then Joel Strickland told me, which I would put his duck knowledge up against about anybody. He's He's got this new place and he, he flooded it right in January and they had a bunch of ducks on it and the ducks have sat on it here and through until they went up north. And he said, I was so glad that happened because the they will remember that that place was there. Hmm. So like his contention was that the, as they come back the next year, they will remember that that spot yeah. that they sat on for so many yeah. weeks in yeah. the spring. And it'll bring about just the knowledge of it, not just looking for food, but they actually remember that. And I thought yeah. that was interesting, which, which, which would tie into the historical. It's like historically ducks know yeah. this is a good spot, right? Ducks yeah. know to go there. Oh, yeah. that's interesting stuff. <clears throat> so, well, another good conversation. I'll, oh man, we could, gosh, I could talk <laughs> for hours. That's what I said. <laughs> we just need to just do one every two weeks because we have too much. We never get half out what we want, but here's what we need to do. We need to do some live stream marathon <laughs> that would be awesome actually we're like let's see if we can what's the record for waterfowl podcast length and <laughs> i bet you we can see be if we can kill like 10 hours straight <laughs> that actually not a, that would be kind of a cool thing just for the fact of it's a marathon that'd be kind of if you don't use yeah. that i might steal that i did it from you on mine <laughs> well we could do uh-huh. it together <laughs> oh yeah we could huh? you could cool. live stream it from both channels sure or, well i would do, i would probably do it on my uh the youtube podcast channel but yeah well whatever it would be it would be fun it's like 3 a.m i know and then i'm walking around with my phone at work flying yeah well all right well i've taken up enough of your time and i'm probably about 10 30 here it's only yeah like here you want to hit the sack right? probably 20 so yeah i am well thank you for coming on again guys make sure you check out titus's podcast Mid Valley Mercenaries. Oh, what's the actual? Is it just Mid Valley? No, the MVM show? show. What was that? Yep, the MVM, MVM show. show. Yeah, MVM show. Uh, check him out on Instagram because he's got a great Instagram channel, and on YouTube he's got all his duck hunts and lots of logged videos there. So, Titus, thank you for joining us today. Until next time, guys. This has been another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.